Welcome to this episode of Appalachian Shine, the official podcast of the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. My name is J.C. Swangruber, and I'm here today with a local author uh, here in Appalachia by the name of Gail Leeson, who writes some very interesting, fun books, and we wanted to come on tonight just to talk to you about so many things you can do while we're all sitting here quarantining our home. Gail, thanks for coming on to the show. How you doing tonight? Doing great, J.C. Thank you for having me. I don't have that uh, fantastic radio voice that you have, but I'll do my best. Hey, my mother always said I had a face for radio. I took her word for it. <laughs> so, so here I am. So I'm glad to actually have a podcast here with the Foundation. We're, we're actually pleased to, to do that and try to use this platform to promote lo- local artists like yourself. And uh, you write. how many books have you written so far, Gail? Oh, my goodness. Um 31, 32 in print right now. Wow. Where do you find the time? <laughs> I guess that'd be the first question somebody would want to know. <laughs> oh, well, I'm lucky enough that I get to write full time, but a lot of times, um, because like I was working, uh, for the Virginia workers compensation commission in Lebanon when my children were little and I thought I am missing so much of their childhood. And so I freelanced and wrote from home and got to spend more time with them. And it was more flexible because I could work when they were at school or when they went to sleep or, um, you know, just whenever. And, uh, and the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> well, I would say congratulations because today you have a book release out today. And because nobody can get together... You actually did a release party online on Facebook for uh, your new book, uh, book Perils and Lace. Uh, what's what's that book about? Well, this book is about um, Amanda Tucker, the uh, ghostly. Okay, let me start again. Amanda Tucker is a designer, and she works at Shops on Main in Abingdon. And uh, Shops on Main is a fictional building, but it's based on the Greenwood Trig building. Um, but she decides to do costuming for the Winter Garden High School production of Beauty and the Beast. And Winter Garden is kind of a crossover with my uh, Down South Cafe series. So that was just kind of a nod to that series. And so that was a lot of fun Um, to join, you know, kind of to go visit the Down South Cafe characters in the Perils and Lace book. But it's all about um, the costumes for the part of, for the play. I told you I couldn't do this the way you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I made a fool out of myself in video today, so now I'm, I'm making a fool of myself on your podcast. <laughs> no, you're, doing, you're, you're doing great. I, I think one thing I wanted to ask you about, like, you write, what you described your books are cozy mysteries. And if somebody for the first time is hearing the word cozy mystery, part of our audience will know what that is. But for the, those that don't, what is a cozy mystery? I know it sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Um, how can a, a mystery be cozy? But really... All that it is, is the violence mainly happens like off stage. There's not any, um, not a lot of blood and gore. 
you know, somebody finds the body. It's not like, uh, you know, Stephen King where they would describe the murder in horrific detail or okay. something like that. Um, and there's not a lot of bad language or um, sex. They're clean. Um, and it's more that you solve a mystery instead of um, like with a thriller when you're you're, you're seeing the, the more visceral part of it. This is more of a, a puzzle-solving whodunit. Okay, so this is not like a what people call a normal mystery where it's like shock value is in play. Right, um, there's like, not a lot of shock value. We do have a ghost <laughs> in, uh, of course, the ghostly fashionista. Uh, she is a flapper named Max who died in 1930, and I have a lot of fun with her. Uh, she's mad in this book at a dumb Dora um, named Carla who used to date the guy that our heroine Amanda is dating now and um, Max threatens to haunt the dickens out of her if she doesn't get out of the building. <laughs> so. That sounds like a pretty fun story. Now you, uh, in, Perils and, in Perils and Lace you mentioned that you were you said a, a part of the the well it's in Abingdon. Are all your books located? You use like the backdrop of our, our local communities here in Central Appalachia. They do. Like Abingdon is the only real town that I use. In Down South Cafe, I use Winter Garden, which is basically between Meadowview and Abingdon, because uh, the people come to Abingdon a lot. But it's very rural, kind of like Metaview, and there's only two restaurants in the town. One is the pizza parlor, and the other is the Down South Cafe. And the funny thing was, when the publisher did the first um, cover for Silence of the Jams, book two in the Down South Cafe series, she made it look like a little city outside the cafe. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> There are hills beyond the cafe. There aren't any other shops around. And, um, you know, like where we live, you see that so much, the little cafe on the side of the road. Yeah. And apparently they don't have a lot of those in New York. <laughs> no, I don't think they know what a hill is until they get outside of the city for about an hour, probably. Um now, do you, like, when you mentioned the cafe, do you base it off of a real place that you've been to? Not really. Uh, there was a place, um, and this is, uh, I'm going to date myself, like, wow, she's old, in Saltville. I don't know if you know where Saltville is. I sure do. I've had five family that, that lived over there. Okay. Well, there used to be a drugstore. And there was a, like a counter at the drugstore, and they had, um, like, cheeseburgers and sandwiches and all those kind of things. And there was a, a waitress, and I don't remember her name, because my grandmother would take me in there when we were just little. And um, we would sit on the stools, and, of course, we would spin and spin and spin until grandmother said, no, you know, calm down. <laughs> And, and grandmother wasn't as quick to do it as like our mom was or whatever. But um, 
there was a woman, and I think her name was Betty, and she had this great big um, beehive, blonde beehive, and she was the sweetest thing, but I always got my cheeseburgers there with mustard, mayonnaise, and pickle. And I remember that to this day. You know, it was the like the buttered toasted buns and the mm, it was so good and the big steak fries. That was the stuff. <laughs> you know, but yeah, because you don't really find these places today. I mean, I guess kids today or younger people today will go to places, and then years later they're going to talk about like we do, you know, from yesteryear. But I remember there was a little place in Richlands, and I the first book that I ever wrote um, in the in this in the book there was a fictional town and it was like a little small town outside of a city though and there was a little diner i referred to in the book as helen and nancy's that was actually a real diner in my town of richlands back in the early 80s and it, I, and if i recall right it was these two widows that were friends they opened up this diner and my grandpa used to take me there when i was a tiny little tot and uh, i would sit up on the stool at the bar and have hot dogs and then yeah. uh, same thing with the french's bakery which Anybody that uh, maybe from Richlands listening, they're going to think, holy cow, I remember French's Bakery from 20 years ago or 30 years. <laughs> but, um, but back in the 80s, you know, the, I remember those places. And, but it's kind of like, like the way you, uh, your writing stalks. I've read some of your work, and you kind of have that. It's such a, for lack of a better word here, a cozy small town feel to it. And it's such a comfortable feel when you read it. So it, is, it kind of harkens back some memories. So even today when I write about anything small townish, um, it's it's probably something based on my memory of Richlands from yesteryear. So, do you do the same thing? You could never explain to somebody now because it was Clark's Drugstore, I think. And you could never go into CVS and go up to the counter and have like diner food. And then go get your prescription. In a drugstore. Yeah. Right. It was the weirdest thing. Now, to me then, you know, it was normal. That was, you go in for a cheeseburger and then you would, you could get a magazine or a comic book or a whatever and, you know. There's still. You get the prescription and <laughs> There's still one holdout in Richlands, a, a drugstore called Gateway Drug. And. Inside of it, there's still that little diner on the on the one end where you have what? some tables and the stools, but no one no one operates the diner right now. But I know people like five six years ago used to go in and order their hot dogs, cheeseburgers, grilled cheese, whatever, either sit and eat or take it to go. But yeah. but that's so cool. It's like it's still the place you want to drop your packages off for UPS to pick up. <laughs> so <laughs> but it reminds you of yesteryear. And uh, but you know your cozy mysteries have a lot of that kind of have that feel to a lot of them. Um, now you you have Perils and Lace that, that's out today. I, I did want to ask you though, when did you get the writing bug? When did you start doing this? Thirty one books later, it's it's pretty incredible. Oh my goodness! Um, really, I wrote like I was put on bed rest when I was pregnant with the twins, and um. That was very boring because also that was like post or pre-internet. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the internet was around then, but dial-up don't count. It really doesn't. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't internet. That was stress. That's what that was. <laughs> so um, 
I would write then, and, um, you know, I have always written, but then I just really got serious about it. I went to my first conference in Knoxville, and I met my first publisher, and she published my first book and uh, promptly went out of business. (laughs) I don't think the two things were related necessarily, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What, What was your first book, by the way? My first book was Photo Finish, and it was a book about um, a photographer who was on vacation, and he was an alcoholic, and during a blackout, he took pictures of a murder, and then he forgot when he sobered up, he didn't remember taking the pictures, but he had been seen by the killer and they came after him, and they followed him back, and um, the heroine of the book was a model, and they were like, uh, he was almost like a surrogate dad to her, and so she became embroiled in everything um, because of that, and it was really fun. I enjoyed it. Now, a lot of your books, do you write them in like a series of books at a time, or... Um, you don't write many standalone books, I, I, I noticed. I don't. Um, I don't know. I get attached to people, <laughs> even fictional people. <laughs> and so I kind of want to see what happens next with them. Um, and I think that readers kind of get attached to them, too. Um, when the publisher decided not to do any more of the embroidery series written under Amanda Lee, I had so many people write and say, no, 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 we want the story to go on. And I said, you know, I did too. I at least wanted a couple more because at the end, um, the last book was a Christmas book, and Marcy got engaged at the end of it. And I kind of at least wanted her to have her wedding and then I could have gone for 10 more books. The The series was 10 books, and I really could have gone 10 more because, um, you know, then she would have gotten pregnant, and then we would have had the baby, and, you know. I just think of all the mysteries you could have had with the, the kid on the hip, you know? I know. Now, with um, as you look back at all the series that you've written, is there any particular series that you look back and think, geez, I, I really love those characters so much, I wish that particular series sold better, or um, like one of those series that's kind of a little bit more dear to your heart? Um, I don't know. I don't... It's kind of like <laughs> love the one you're with, because when I'm writing like the uh, Ghostly Fashionista books. I love those people so much. I love Max the ghost. She is so much fun to write because I can do things with her that I can't do with anybody else. Um, Those books, I think, kind of have a bewitched feel to them. You know how Endora was always popping in and nobody could see her, but Samantha could see her? That's kind of the way it is with Max and Amanda. So, I really love them when I'm writing them, and then when I'm writing um, the Down South Cafe series, I really love Aunt Bess and her Pinterest boards, and um, and I 
think people get a kick out of those too. The Lord have mercy boards and, you know, they never know what she's going to do next. And that's kind of like my grandmother in a way, because, um, you never knew what she was going to do next either. Because in Apples and Alibis, Aunt Bess had sent um, pizzas and donuts and things to the firefighters just because. And um, when Grandmother died, I had people come up to me and say, like a week before she died, she called our office, like her doctor's office, and said, I want to tell you I was thinking about you and I love you. And I'm praying for you. And she would, oh my goodness, she would pray for people like for hours. She would go through a list. I mean, it was just like when we were little, it was like, grandmother, please stop so we can go to sleep. <laughs> but then when you're older, you really appreciate that. It's, I still don't have that much patience. Like, if I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I will. But, like, like if I say, oh, JC, I'm going to pray for you, I'll pray for you, like, right after I've told you that, because otherwise I'll forget. <laughs> Grandmother never forgot. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. And so do you have any characters, like, you, you based her off of, or? A little bit like the Lord of Mercy board, the the Aunt Bess thing, a little bit. And Myrtle Crumb, when I did that character, I started that right after Grandmother died. And I had a psychiatrist tell me, because I was when I was freelancing, um, I interviewed a psychiatrist who said, I said, I've started writing this character, and I started writing it in first person, and I've never written in first person before. And I said, this character reminds me a lot of my grandmother who died recently. And he said, this is your way of hanging on. And I was like, because the funny thing is, um, the character has a daughter, and she loves her daughter, but she really loves her granddaughter. And that was the relationship that grandmother and I had. We were like the last words that she said to me were, I love you best. And I said, I'm going to let you have this one because I knew that was it, you know? And I said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell you, I love you. best." <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take this up again. But, uh, because we would always do that. She would say, I love you best. And I would say, okay, grandmother. But I would have left her a note downstairs or something. So she would find it and would say, I love you best. And she would laugh and uh, she would tell my mother, oh, that rotten young. And she had to get the last word or bust. And so then... <laughs> uh, that's, that's adorable. I mean, there's, those memories like that are things that you hang on to. And as a writer, I imagine that those things just automatically kind of seep out on the page when you write about characters. You know, like also, um, just at different times, different people will come through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not through like a, a medium kind of a thing, but just come through your mind. Um, but it was like um, <clears throat> with Amy in Down South Cafe, she talked about standing in her grandmother's arm um, you know, when they made 
Thanksgiving dinner. And I did that every year. And um, I think grandmother was the only person who loved me enough to indulge my delusion that I could one day be a rocket. You're shortened up and you have no uh, sense of balance. (laughs) You're not going to do it, kid, but not grandmother. Grandmother was like, if you want to be a rocket, you can be a rocket. (laughs) Yay, grandmother. Uh, yeah, you gotta have that kind of optimism, especially in some of the characters and in, in your mysteries that comes through. There was another book that you wrote that I, I wanted to um, broach with you because this this is the first thing I'd read. I because first time we met was probably maybe three years ago. You were doing a presentation for the Appalachian Authors Guild one evening, mm-hmm. and uh, we traded out books, and I gave you a rough draft of yeah. one of mine, and you gave me a actual good version of one of yours. <laughs> so um, I read this book, and you wrote it under a I think it was G.V. Trent was the the author yeah. name that you used, the pen name you used. Now, you also use Amanda Lee for those that are listening. Um, so some of your mysteries are written under that name, too. Um, but you wrote a book that's way off the beaten path of these cozy mysteries. This, <laughs> this, was, uh, this was a pretty intense book. It was called In Her Blood. And you set that down in uh, the backdrop. It was down in New Orleans. No, it was Savannah. Or Savannah okay, see, so, yeah, that's right, Savannah. Um, and right. the uh, the guy who was given the tour, um, because she was, I don't want to give the, the story away, because it was a, a harrowing mystery. It was incredibly good about oh, wondering if, you. you know, somebody who was a killer, if they're somebody down in the bloodline of their family still has that killer instinct. And that was what this, uh, your character was doing a research on. Um, what led you to write in her blood? Where did you get the idea for that? thing because I get um, I get fixated on weird things and I I just do uh, we were taking this ghost tour in Savannah and so here I am with my children who at the time were like 16 17 and they're talking about this quote-unquote witch named Alice Riley. And she was the first woman hanged in the territory of Georgia. And when they hanged her, okay, when she was sentenced, she was pregnant. So they let her stay alive until she gave birth. Then they hanged her. So to the tour guide, I said, what happened to the baby? Oh, we don't know. But Alice (laughs) Riley, you know, she was in her spooky Uh um, ghost tour voice. But Alice Riley comes back and looks for her child in this spot, all you know, every night or blah blah blah. And and visitors say that they've seen a woman saying, "Have you seen my baby? Have you seen my baby?" So I was like, "No, but really, what happened?" <laughs> and they said, "Oh, we don't know." And finally, the answer I got was, "It probably died or something. We don't know." Well, that bothered me so badly that when we got back to the room, I was on the laptop looking up what happened to Alice Riley. And 
when I saw her real story, there was nothing about her being a witch or anything. She was an indentured servant, and she came over from Ireland to escape the potato famine. And she was like 17 years old. So naturally, the mom in me is like, she was a baby. <laughs> so she came over, and she was working off her passage. Uh, and the wealthy landowner was very cruel to her, and he raped and beat her daily. Yeah. And she and another man there, and some said it was her husband or a lover or a friend, you know, the accounts varied as to who this man was, but they drowned their master in uh, a mop bucket. Oh. So the man was hanged immediately. And then again, she was allowed to have the child. And none of the stories told anything about what happened to the child. But as I researched, I was amazed at just the world that they lived in because nobody was outraged that this 17-year-old child was going through what she was going through because she was property, you know. Um, he bought her passage over. He could do with her what he wanted. Um, so then I decided that in my story, she was, um, that a woman from the town who would come to make a dress for her because they did that too. If, you know, somebody would make a dress for you. Uh, so you could be hanged. You know, you want to look nice to be hanged. Okay. <laughs> you know, like Lovey Howe, what does one wear to be hanged? Well, you <laughs> wear your best stuff. And um, the crowds would join, you know, they would, um, they would gather at the hanging and try to rip pieces off the dress or rip off her shoes or whatever, because that's what they did to get souvenirs. It was really horrible. If you look up, like, hangings way back when, it was a horrible thing. So, um, in my little world, the woman who made Alice's dress felt sorry for her. She realized this is just a child, and Alice asked her, would you please take my baby? And so she did. And she passed it off as her own. And then that became the uh, one of the characters in the story. And But that's what led to the whole thing. And I had also, at the same time, I did an article, a freelance article for... I can't remember the magazine, but I did... Uh, an article on Belle Gunness, who was one of the first serial killers in the United States. And I got to talk with Belle's great, great niece. And I said, because I mean, once I read up on that woman, she was evil with a capital E. She was really a horrible person. So in reading that, I was like, 
Okay. Are you afraid that whatever was in her that made her the way she is, are you afraid it was in any of your other family members, or did you see any traces of it? And this woman said, yes, my son. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and then she was kind of like, yeah, you don't want to make my son mad. He's, he's very um, frightening when he's angry. It was like the Hulk, you wouldn't like him when he's <laughs> angry. And I thought, oh, that's scary. So then I got to wondering if there was a gene that could be passed down or something. And those two things combined um, made me set out to write the book. And you spun one heck of a good story out of that. That was that was one of the – when I read that at the time, I'm like, how how is this book not on a bestseller list? Because that was, that was really a good book, and it was uh, um, such a creative story. And it was unique in that way, too, where you're kind of like, could, could this gene be in the blood? And I'm not – I don't want to give away the ending <laughs> to anybody read this, but – um, uh, if, if you're looking for something that's a mystery, that's not a cozy mystery by any chance, um, in her blood by, uh, and the pen name GV, uh, Trent, um, is on Amazon, right? Now you have a website too, right? You keep that up pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your web address? It's gaillison.com. And that's L-E-E-S-O-N? Yes. For those listening. So gaillison.com. And uh, you have a blog you keep up. G a y l e, yeah, right. G y l e. Now you keep up your blog on there pretty pretty regularly too. I notice, and um, you have a list of all your books, and then the standalone books. So you kind of have them listed separately, so that people can kind of stick with which which one they right. want without getting right. Um, uh, yeah, that one was pretty dark, but. Uh, it was a lot of fun to write, and I, I really enjoyed it. And then some people were like, uh, are you going to do anything else with these characters? And I was kind of like, no, I think their story was told. Yeah, I, there was it was some powerful characters in there, too. It was That was such a good <laughs> book. So, um, But your latest one, Perils and Lace, uh, that's on Amazon as well, right? Yes. I hate to ask. I mean, you just got the book out, but what's next? You've written 31. I know you're thinking about 32. well i am co-writing a book right now with uh lorraine bartlett it is called a murderous misconception it's a continuation of her victoria square series so that will be out i think in may and then i think i've got another um cafe book that i've kind of promised people would be out in the fall but i think after i get um this next book that I might take a day or two off. <laughs> you might have earned it. You might have earned it. But we're all kind of like pseudo quarantine during this time of the coronavirus. Exactly. So uh, I've talked to a lot of writers over the last two or three weeks, especially um, through writing groups online and uh, folks with the Appalachian Authors Guild. There's such anxiety right now in, in our culture and with everybody, really. Has that kind of messed a little bit with your creativity and desire to write at this point? It has. It really has because um, even today when I did the uh, silly videos online and everything, I was like, is that appropriate in this environment that we're living in right now? Because, uh, you know, things are so scary and 
downright sad for some people. And then I thought, well, you know, yeah, we need some funny and we need some lighthearted things because uh, when you turn on the news, it scares you to death. (laughs) You know, you go out and you, you think the world is so different and will it ever be the same? Yeah. Um, Yeah. We were talking earlier before we actually uh, started the podcast. We're both huggers. And um, I would hate to think that we would have a book signing or something and it, it would be the uh, six feet apart rule, you know? Yeah, that's weird. I, I mean, even at, uh, say, somewhere like Big Walker Lookout, where I've done some book signings before, I've met strangers from all over the place that will come through, shake your hand. Um, I hate, you know, nice little old ladies that will come by and look at one of my books and hug me. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it would be so weird to not um, – be that have that human element that we all feel like we need to stay back. And you were right with what you were saying before we started recording this podcast was, you know, whether something like that was appropriate. And this is just my two cents worth. But, you know, we're living in times where there's so much anxiety. And we've went through so many things in our culture with people angry over things like politics and difference, even minor differences of opinion. Not It doesn't even have to be major things in politics. And, you know, we I don't do politics really, really well, but, um, <laughs> you, know, I you know, especially as a 501c3, we avoid it. We're not that kind of an organization, but, you know, when I think people are starting to, in a way, wake up a little bit now that we have no sports on TV to watch, right. a lot of reruns, people are kind of looking around at what's necessary and what's important now that we have that six foot distance away. And we're realizing like our, that human touch is not, that's more important than any of the minor political differences that we have that we blow up and make a mountain out of a molehill and we're argumentative and we have a press and a media nationwide, no matter what source you watch, in my opinion, that has a divide and conquer type of attitude. If you can make people feel separate and like one pit one side against another in any way, shape or form, culturally, psychologically, morally, whatever, then that's more more eyes on them, and that's right. not a healthy thing. And I think a lot of people are seeing that, not just in the you know the major national media, but all the things that are distracting us in society. And hopefully, hopefully, when we come out of this, we'll we'll, we'll have a better world because we'll look at right. each other with a form of respect that, quite frankly, has been missing from our culture nationally quite a long time. Right. And we're seeing what's really important now. So it's. You know, that that contact with each other. And, and I guess as we have these times, we're all kind of sitting at home and kind of worried and nervous. We can spend the time doing something to make ourselves better. Read some books. You're always told to go out and shop locally to support your businesses. But support our local authors and our musicians. And there are a lot of people out there that are just kind of on contract or working independently like, like writers like ourselves. That, you know, if we don't sell books, we don't pay the lights. You know, and everybody's sitting at home looking for a good book to read. If you're going to support your local businesses, support your local authors, your local artists. Um, There's so many musicians I see on Facebook that are local that are doing the Facebook lives where they're playing their guitar and singing songs from the living room. I don't need to see it on national TV to enjoy the best of what we have in Appalachia right right there on Facebook. And thankfully that stuff's out there. So if you're listening, you're looking for a good book, uh, definitely check out Gail Leeson. Um, You'll find her under the name Amanda Lee and then also Gail Trent. Or GV Trent. Um, so you're under some different names, but 
you write some amazing books and, and, uh, you know, um, folks, we, we don't have to watch TV to go on an adventure. We can just pick up a good book and maybe we'll get back to that a little bit more and more and, uh, and kind of become familiar with our own backyard the way we should. So, but, uh, Gail, any, any parting shots here before we call it? An um, if you want to check out the ghostly fashionista series, uh, cheaper, the first book in the series, Designs on Murder, is available for the month of April for ninety nine cents. So the ebook version, anyway. On Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Hey, a quick question: If somebody wanted to get a signed copy, or um, when the world goes back to normal, are you planning any events locally there in Bristol or Abingdon where you're doing book signings, or or can somebody buy a signed copy from you online? Uh, either. Just uh, send me an email, but yes, I do hope to be doing some events soon. Okay. What's I your? <laughs> what? Yeah, I miss people too. What is your email address if somebody wants to touch base with you? Gail G A Y L E at Gail Trent T R E N T dot com. Okay. And um, yeah, just uh, follow her on you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, so um, they can people can find you there. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, hopefully, they'll check out your books and and go for a, a buy the ticket, take the ride, as Hunter S. Thompson says. <laughs> go on the adventure. So, yeah, there's so many great writers here, and uh, you're also a member of the Appalachian Authors Guild. So, don't forget to check out uh, if you're listening. Go check out AppalachianAuthors.com also for other local authors. And if there's any events that are coming up, um, book signing events through the Authors Guild, they'll let you know on their website too. And Gail, you may be involved in those. And if our foundation does any more uh, um, uh, sponsoring any kind of uh, local events for authors and artists, uh, you can find us online at supportappalachia.org or on Facebook under Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. Just look for us there. We'll post this podcast up on Facebook page as well as your um, website, Gail, and people can link on it from there, too. So um, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Gail, thanks for being a part of this. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks again for tuning in to Appalachian Shine, and we will be back uh, very soon with another uh, local artist by the name of Jamal Potter who wrote about the wood booger. Yeah, the whole uh, Bigfoot thing. Writes children's books. So <laughs> be back soon. Tune in soon, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks again for tuning by. Stopping by.